0: Well, with the wonderful drama and animation that uh, that video brings the whole story of the Bible together, I kind of wonder whether there's anything uh, more for me to add, for us to reflect on uh, today as we come to this uh, final week in our Bible Build-Up series. But I've got something to say, particularly about shame. We've been following this theme of shame uh, right through this series. We're following this theme of shame and one area of shame we have not yet exposed uh, in this series is fashion shame. Sorry, I'm not looking at anyone in particular. Fashion shame, you know, where you wear the wrong thing in the wrong place or at the wrong time, or you wear something that doesn't suit the occasion or doesn't suit you. It's of the wrong style. And every time I make eye contact, you're feeling so self-conscious right now, aren't you? You're dressed out of style. Have you ever committed a crime of fashion? There's some disturbing stuff there. I had forgotten that I used to wear socks with Teva-style sandals. Have you ever created a crime of fashion? I have plenty of these stories to share with you, Uh, uh, particularly when I moved to the city and country boy met the city for the first time. And this happened to coincide uh, with uh, the first year I was dating Naomi. Uh, there's some photos. Naomi, of course, looks as glamorous uh, as ever. But crikey, look at some of those things I'm wearing, all that hairstyle. Um, and these are just the crimes of fashion that have been caught in photos uh, there are plenty of other ones. So, uh, they're the first one on, on the left. Um, yes, that is the shirt that I wore to Manly on our first date. It was one of my favourite shirts uh, and it lived on for several years. Uh, Naomi's Year 12 formal is the next one. Yeah, that haircut. Um, it, 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 it was trendy once. Um, but never as trendy as the next haircut was at Naomi's sister's wedding, uh, when I had a, what could be fashionably called a, a bum part with an undercut. And uh, yeah, yeah, embarrassing times, uh, crimes of fashion, fashion shame. But the photo on the end is my sister's wedding. It was an attempt to be trendy, um, 40 degrees up in Grafton, and uh, Naomi got me this fairly nice shirt, very nice shirt actually, that was kind of an open college shirt that you could wear under a jacket. Uh, and that's what I wore to uh, the wedding. I was doing the wedding. It was the first wedding that i had ever done as a minister marriage celebrant. But holy-dooly, was that a crime of fashion? My family expected me to wear a tie. I was the only male in the room without a tie and I was the minister. A crime of fashion. Have you ever committed a crime of fashion? That'd be a good conversation starter for us this morning over morning tea, as we share more of ourselves with one another. When did you commit a crime of fashion? Now, I hope that as you have those conversations, nobody points out to you what you're actually wearing today as being a fashion crime. Please be kind to one another. The problem of sin and death in the world is a crime of fashion. When sin was born into the world in the garden where the man and the woman reached out to take hold of what wasn't theirs, the man and the woman know fashion shame. They try to hide from God, they try to hide from one another, they try to cover their nakedness with fig leaves. Now, while that was a a true historical um, uh, 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 time of a man and a woman, it's also a symbol of our hideous attempts to cover over our sin, our hideous attempts to dress ourselves up uh, before God and before one another. But really, we are hideously dressed before God because of our sin. Now in the garden, God provides something more fashionable uh, than fig leaves. God provides a garment of animal skin for the man and the woman and this looks forward to something even more fashionable. In the true story of God, the world and us, this story, this true story ends in the new heaven and the new earth. And here we see God's people are beautifully dressed for eternity, where sin and death and shame are gone forever. And this is a vision that we get into eternity in the closing chapters of the book of Revelation. Be helpful if you've got the book of Revelation open. These closing chapters are a vision of the world put right. The context of it is a great celebration. And here we're going to see how four blemishes that turned up in the garden and our world, how these blemishes and stains, these four aspects, are made new. First up, we're going to look at Revelation chapter 19. Revelation chapter 19, verses 6 to 8. In place of fig leaves, we're going to see God's people beautifully dressed in white. Chapter 19, verse 6. And then I heard what sounded like a great multitude, like the roar of rush- rushing waters and like loud peals of thunder shouting, Hallelujah, for our Lord God Almighty reigns. Let us rejoice and be glad and give him glory. For the wedding of the Lamb has come and his bride has made herself ready. Fine linen, bright and clean, was given her to wear. Fine linen stands for the righteous acts of the saints. Uh, Here we see... "...that the bride is dressed in fine linen, spectacular clothes, bright and clean, a symbol, a sign of righteousness." of being right with God. This is the opposite to sin and shame. There is no hiding here. There is no embarrassment here. There is nothing that needs covering over. There is no fashion crime here. Righteousness is a rightness with God and one another. But who is the bride? Let's turn over to chapter 21 again. Chapter 21, verse 1. Verse 1 Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and there was no longer any sea. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. The bride is a city. The bride is the holy city, the new Jerusalem, God's place where God's people are. The bride is God's people. The bride is God's people who belong to Jesus. In the new heavens and the new earth, we see God's people in righteousness, in right relationship with God, right relationship with one another. In the garden, fig leaves were grabbed to try and cover over sin and shame. In the new heavens and the new earth, Jesus dresses his people in beauty and purity. Have you got a favourite jumper or a favourite pair of jeans or trackies? Or you did have and you can no longer wear them? I used to have a favourite pair of shorts, a favourite pair of sports shorts uh, that I used to wear everywhere. And on the night before my wedding, uh, my mates decided to cake me. Um, After a game of touch footy, they made a cake on me. They egged me, they sugared me, they floured me and all kinds of things. It was messy and gross. I took off my favourite sports shorts and threw them in the washing basket in the house that Nam and I were going to live in when we got back from our honeymoon. And when we got back from our honeymoon five or six days later, things were growing out of this washing basket. Uh, My egged, sugared, yeasted, floured, watered uh, shorts, had the batter had turned into something that was now living uh, in our granny flat. And Nami tried and tried and tried to to wash my favourite shorts, but you just couldn't remove the stain and, and what was in them. They had to go in the bin. Have you lost your favourite that you can no longer wear? Well, in the new heavens and the new earth, Jesus gives us new clothes for heaven where every stain and all shame is gone. That's the first blemish of the garden that's taken away. The second one is in the new heaven and the new earth, Because sin and shame is no more, we need not hide. We can know and enjoy being in God's presence. So in Revelation chapter 21, let's look at verse 3. Verse 3. I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Now the dwelling of God is with men and he will live with them. They will be his people and God himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe every tear from their eyes. There'll be no more death or mourning or crying or pain for the old order of things has passed away. In God's presence, we are free from everything that makes us sad. What made you sad this week? What made you worried? what made you disappointed, what made you anxious, what made you sad, it will be no more. In the presence of God, in the new heavens and the new earth, everything sad will be taken away. All sin will be taken away and we'll have no reason to hide from God, but be perfectly in the presence of God, in relationship with God, enjoying everything of God's goodness. Moving along, we see that there is no shame but glory. The darkness of shame will give way to the light of glory. Uh, Verse 22, verse 22, still in chapter 21, verse 22. I did not see a temple in the city because the Lord God Almighty and the Lamb are its temple. The city does not need the sun or the moon to shine on it for the glory of God gives it light and the Lamb is its life. The Lamb's Jesus, remember? Verse 24, the nations will walk by its light and the kings of the earth will bring their splendor into it. On no day will its gates ever be shut for there will be no night there. The glory and honour of the nations will be brought into it. Nothing impure will ever enter it, nor will anyone who does what is shameful or deceitful, but only those whose names are written in the Lamb's book of life. Just let this sit for a moment. In the Old Testament... We keep seeing that every time God's Old Testament people come into contact with God's glory, they fear death. Rightly so. They think of Moses when he was on uh, Mount Sinai or in the tent of meeting or when the Israelites were gathered around Mount Sinai after God had brought them uh, out of Egypt. Every time God's Old Testament people come into contact with his glory, they fear death. The prophet Isaiah, Isaiah chapter 6, when he has a vision of God in the temple, only the the train of God's robe, he says, woe am I, for I am an unclean man of unclean lips. When he comes into contact with God's glory, he fears death. Jesus' disciples had a similar experience when they realised who Jesus really was. At one of the times of the miraculous catch of fish, Peter fell to his knees and says, Go away from me, Lord. I am a sinful man. The usual response to God's glory is to see our shame, the shame of humanity, and tremble in fear before God. The reality of the new creation, of the new heaven and the new earth, what we just read there in those verses, is glory. Not only being in the presence of God's glory, but see there verse 26, the glory for all who belong in the light of God's glory. Where the garden was full of shame, where the world is full of shame, In the new heavens and the new earth, we will know glory. The final blemish of the garden to see removed is the curse. Where sin and shame brought curse, Jesus brings healing. In chapter 22, verses 1 to 3, chapter 22, verse 1. Where sin and shame brought curse, Jesus brings healing. In the new heavens and the new earth, relationship with God and with one another is perfectly restored. It's perfectly healed. We'll know perfectly God's rule and God's blessing. Now think for a moment how much of our effort Is given to surviving and thriving in the world? How much of your your thought, your time, your energy, your effort, your planning do you have to put in each week, each month, each year so that you have what you need for life uh, to be comfortable, to provide for yourself and those who you're responsible for? How much time and effort and thought and planning we need to put into uh, setting ourselves up for the future, for retirement. Now these are all things that are necessary for us to do as we live in this world. But the true story of God, the world and us keeps lifting our eyes beyond 2017, beyond 2018, and the plans that we might be making for our work, for our family, for where we're living, for our church, it lifts our eyes beyond 2070. It lifts our eyes to eternity. To in eternity, we will know perfectly God's provision for us, God's healing. The curse of the world will be healed, and we will know God's perfect provision. Now, knowing this is ahead, let's talk about being fashioned for eternity. Some of us love clothing and fashion. These are the people who are screwing their faces up when we're looking at the crimes of fashion pictures before. Some of the people love clothing. It gives them a buzz and excitement. You love going to the bustle of the shops. You'd even consider... Going on a shopping holiday, travelling to another city, even in another state, to go shopping. That's some of you. I feel like I'm going to suffocate uh, when I go shopping for clothes. My heart uh, beats faster the closer I get to the door. Whichever kind of shopper, clothing shopper you are, however you think about fashion, we all need to talk about dressing now. For eternity, we're going to have a brief look at four New Testament passages about clothing. The first one is about being dressed for Jesus' mission. We're entrusted with Jesus' mission to reach out to the world. Now, as we do that, we can feel so insignificant and ineffective in the world. Do you feel marginalized at times? Do you feel like the wonderful, good news gospel about Jesus is muzzled? Do you feel like you need to keep your head down? I was listening to a radio interview earlier this week on One Way FM. They were having a discussion about being marginalised and muzzled, about whether Christians should be proselytising in the community or not. It was a good discussion as uh, different Christians were weighing in on that uh, conversation. Uh, One of the conclusions that they made was that we need wisdom and winsomeness. Wisdom and winsomeness. We shouldn't go out of our way to stir up opposition. But something they didn't say, but we need to know, we need not be timid. Have a look at these verses from Luke chapter 24. After Jesus' death and resurrection as he appeared to his disciples as he equipped and sent them out in his mission he says this This is what is written The Messiah will suffer and rise from the dead on the 3rd day and repentance for the forgiveness of sins will be preached in his name to all nations beginning at Jerusalem You are witnesses of these things I'm going to send you what my Father has promised, but stay in the city until you have been clothed with power from on high. Now Jesus is talking to his disciples about sending the gift of the Father, the Holy Spirit, who will equip, enable, empower them for Jesus' mission. Those of us who belong to Jesus, those who are followers of Jesus, those who are disciples of Jesus, we are clothed with power. We need wisdom, we need winsomeness but we need not be timid. And the personal challenge for me in this as I've been thinking about the things going on in the last couple of weeks and how I engage in our community uh, and in speaking about Jesus and, and putting forward the truths of the Bible, I think I need to stick my neck out a little bit more. I've been surprised by the number of people who have recognised that I'm a minister recently who think I'm too nice, Um, who, who, who hear about what I think about a biblical view of marriage or a biblical view of life and death or the world and people are surprised that I have those views because they go, well, hang on, you're a nice person, why would you have those kind of views? I've got the nice bit right, but I think I need to stick my neck out a little bit more and entrust the power of God to share with others the truth. We need not be timid. We are clothed with power. Secondly, in being clothed now for eternity, we need to know our materials. So in 1 Corinthians chapter 15... What this passage is telling us is that we are headed for what is imperishable. At the moment, our material body is perishable, but we're headed towards having a material body that is imperishable. Now, most of us know just how perishable our bodies are. Tired, falling apart, let us down give us cause for worry and concern. Some of us don't like our bodies, wish we had a different body. I'm well aware of how perishable my body is as I've been sick over the last couple of weeks. Last night, my brother's baby was born into this world with a material body that is perishable. Uh, The irony of that birth last night in the hospital at Grafton was at the other end of the Grafton hospital, my grandfather was moved into palliative care. We know just how perishable our bodies are, but ahead of us is an imperishable body, a body that is perfected for serving God and enjoying Him forever. Thirdly, make eternal clothes the focus of our desires. 2 Corinthians chapter 5 we read, For we know that if the earthly tent we live in is destroyed, that's that's one way of talking about our material perishable body, we know that if the earthly tent we live in is destroyed, we have a building from God, an eternal house in heaven, not built by human hands. Meanwhile, we groan longing to be clothed instead with our heavenly dwelling, because when we are clothed, we'll not be found naked. For while we are in this tent, we groan and are burdened, because we do not wish to be unclothed, but to be clothed instead with our heavenly dwelling, so that what is mortal may be swallowed up by life. We are longing for heavenly clothes. I've been exercising more regularly in the gym the past few weeks, up until I got sick. Uh, And I had never noticed before uh, how many mirrors there are in gyms. Uh, Now, because I've done some architectural and engineering type work and I like buildings and spaces, I normally think that mirrors are to make space look bigger. That could be the case in gyms as well. I know that when you're lifting heavier weights, uh, you uh, n- need to have correct form and the mirrors are there to help you uh, see that you're doing your deadlifts right and, and you pull on presses and, and all that kind of thing. But as I've observed people around the last couple of weeks because I've noticed these mirrors and trying to work out what the mirrors are for, I wonder if they're there because I love to look at me. We're obsessed with our bodies. Whether we like our body or not, we're obsessed with our bodies and we're surrounded by people who love their body or love to love their body. Heavenly clothes and longing for heavenly clothes means we won't be obsessed with our body now. Yeah, we'll care for it, we'll nurture it, we'll do exercise, but we will not worship it. Before too long, you will know how much your body will let you down. And it'll be gone. We'll be people who long for the heavenly body and long for heavenly clothes. Our final passage, the fourth one, make your life a daily fashion parade of these clothes. Turn with me, please, to Colossians chapter 3. Still in the New Testament, before Revelation, after the Gospels, Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, then before all the New Testament letters that start with T. So between the Shun books and the books starting with T. Colossians chapter 3, verse 12. This is our daily fashion parade. Verse 12. Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness and patience. Bear with each other and forgive whatever grievances you may have against one another. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. And over all these virtues, put on love, which binds them all together in perfect unity. This is a fantastic statement for how to live in the world. If you want a statement that shapes all of your ethics, the way that you do living out relationships in every possible situation that you come across today and tomorrow and through the week and through the yesterday and the yesterday of your life, these verses will do it for you. This daily fashion parade of putting on these clothes. Just think about the last time that somebody let you down. How would that be reshaped by you being dressed in these clothes? The last time you had an argument with your spouse as you uh, carry on in your workplace, as you're driving on the road, as you're facing an irritation with your neighbour, as you're having conversations with family, friends, colleagues, strangers about the same-sex marriage debate, as I'm engaging with the lady in the cafe that I shared with you about last week. We'll be people who are on a daily fashion parade of these clothes, compassion, compassion, Kindness, humility, gentleness, patience, forgiveness, love. These are our clothes now for eternity to be clothed with power, to be clothed with the imperishable, to be longing for our heavenly clothes and to be clothed with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, patience, love. We're at the end of the big story of the Bible. The true story of the God and world and us. The Bible is not a human book. It's not a book written by humanity, a religious book that's an attempt for us to come up with a religion that will make life work and help us to feel better about ourselves. The true story of the Bible is God's book. It's God's plan, it's God's story of the world and us so that we might find ourselves located in the plans of God. And so my story, your story, each one of our stories, who we are, where I am headed, what I am going to do in the world, that is found in God's story. And the more and more we know God's story from Genesis through to Revelation, the more we know the story from from the garden through to the new heavens and the new earth, the heavenly city, the more we know of Jesus' death and resurrection, the more we know of the, the failure of God's kings, the more we know of God's eternal promises, the more we know of being dressed now for eternity, the more we know of this story, the more... We're equipped and dressed for living in God's world now and forever.